Welcome to Elements of Community, a podcast about discovering and exploring the elements of community. I am Lucas Root, and each week we talk with a community leader about what makes their community thrive and bring value to both the leaders and the members. Join me as we unpack the magic of the elements of community. Thank you so much for joining me. So for everyone who's listening, here's one of the things that I'm most excited about this interview. Those of you who have been with me for a while remember at the beginning of this year, so quite some time ago now, I put out an episode where I invited people to look inside their communities, the people that they know, the people that they love, the people that they are in close contact with for business owners or business leaders and specifically grandmothers who are focused epic community builders Um, and karen this interview was exactly that one of one of the people that i know reached out to me and said hey i listened to your episode um you have to talk to my mom and of course i i spent some time you know listening to him talking to him about why you'd be the perfect guest and i was like yep i have to talk to your mom and you and I have had a couple of conversations now, and I'm very excited to to share you and your story with our audience. For a couple of quick highlights, just so they know what they're in for, you have studied divinity and you are currently in your retirement job teaching about spirituality and community at the local senior center, which is a community center. and. If, if everybody doesn't see why this is the perfect guest, well, I can't help you. <laughs> Karen, thank you for being here. Would you like to tell our guests or our audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. So from age 12 to age 31, I was in a fundamentalist Christian community that was very limited in that associating with others outside the group was not encouraged and visiting other spiritual communities was also not encouraged and so when I was in my early 30s I was an older than average hold on so that that sounds a lot to me like a cult some people would label it such Mm mm-hmm so I, I, one of my favorite conversations with people is about Rumspringa specifically. Um, do you know what Rumspringa is? I do not. It's when the young people who are part of Amish communities leave the community and go out into the world for at least a year to experience the world and then to decide whether or not they want to stay Amish and come back. And I consider this to be one of the most important practices that the Amish do for a couple of reasons. I think that any any approach to a very specific lifestyle can become indoctrination if you don't have an, an absolute required built-in retouch like Rumspringa. And so when I look at when I look at an, any approach, whether it's a, a doctrine-focused dietary approach or a political spectrum approach or being Amish, and I don't see that they have built in a retouch culture like Rumspringa, that's when I start to worry about moving from community into cult. Because I want, I want any, any community member, any friend, any person who I consider family, whether they're blood or not, I want them to continually reaffirm their own choice to be part of the community that, that I consider to be my community. Yeah, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. And that was part of the issue is that we weren't allowed or we weren't encouraged, put it that way, to connect with other people on the outside. And leaving the group meant those in the community could not communicate with you anymore. 
So they do practice a type of shunning. And so it's a, it's a huge deal to leave the group if you know no one on the outside. And especially if your family members are all part of the group, you know, the um, grief about, you know, losing those valuable connections with your family is huge. Yeah. And what really assisted me to make but, the change. By the way, I think the same is true of being an American. I, I think that we should we should culturally choose to travel to South America and to travel to Africa and to travel to India. Like Correct. that should be a core approach to who we are. And those of us who say, I have no interest in traveling, like that even to me is verging on a, a cult mentality. Sorry. I... I fully agree with that, totally. And and my life really transformed when I embraced what you just said about recognizing that people in other parts of the world are our family. And, you know, you travel... Say that again. Uh, people in other parts of the world are our family. You know, that all humanity is related and when that? you when you get that when you recognize that there's no fear about traveling into areas that you have no idea what to expect and you know foreign language and foreign practices it just becomes beautiful because everybody you meet is so lovely and there's no fear of so, so let's you know, quantify that real quick um, they're they're Let's quantify that. There, there are basically two schools of thought in the world. There's the school of thought where the world was invented 5,000 years ago. Right. And for those people, every single human is descendant of one specific couple 5,000 years ago. Sure. Which, which means all of us are related, at least through that one specific couple 5,000 years ago. Well, there's a second school of thought, right? Um, and I happen right. to belong to that second school of thought, but I'm not asking for judgment here. And the second school of thought is that the world was invented more like five billion years ago. And yes. even in that second school of thought, we actually have scientific evidence. Take a look in the show notes. I will provide a couple of articles that point to this, that every single one of us has one specific common relative. Every single one of us, one specific common relative. She, genetic Eve, she was about 200,000 years ago. And by the way, she was black in Africa. So every single one of us is descendant from that one woman. Mm-hmm. Whether you like it or not, we are all related. I am part of your second school of thought about that. I, I agree with that. And but, but both schools of thought agree on that one thing. Sure. Either we were descended from one couple 5,000 years ago, or we were descended from a different one woman 300,000 years ago. It doesn't matter. In both cases, one woman. We are all related. Sorry. Thank you. Go ahead. Yeah, you no, I need to apologize. That was perfect. That was beautiful. So, back to my story. Yeah, you travel... Well, I went to school. That that was a huge deprogramming place where I learned critical thinking, problem solving, communication, and I had the freedom to study all the world religions and find out for myself what they believe, what they practice, how they live. And it was very exciting for me. It felt like was back in kindergarten, you know, when you feel so excited about learning and playing and meeting new people and um, school. Everything, everything is new. Every day is something new. I love it. Yes, yeah. yes. And networking, making new friends, also being mentored by my professors, uh, which many of them became very instrumental in my Uh, success and the inspiration to actually believe that I could become a college teacher. 
because、Ooh. initially I had a small goal. <laughs> My small goal was to go to school for one year and become a legal secretary. And many of my professors saw my potential and encouraged me to follow my bliss. Like Joseph Campbell encouraged his students, you have to find your bliss first and then follow it. And、uh-huh. writing had been a big piece of my recovery and processing the years where I was in this limited community, and it was just so amazing how, like the hero's journey, when you step into the adventure and you're into this unknown journey, the divine steps in. And supports you, and I totally felt that. So, with my six years of college, attending several different universities, I felt supported by not only the people I met and my professors, but the divine, and that was like part of my spiritual awakening to embrace. What was really in my heart? What I really loved, and what I really loved was people and community building and being instrumental in helping them find what's in their heart and what they love. And that was a big part of my teaching when I was teaching study skills and critical thinking. Was encouraging them to reflect back when they were children. What did you love when you were a child? And、yeah. to recognize that those things play a role in your calling, and that it's not just about making money, but following your heart and that joy, that bliss. And so, my journey of the six years when I was going to college. Culminated in immediately being hired to teach college-level writing courses, and then expanding my teaching from just English comp to study skills, critical thinking, reading improvement. Reading was a huge aspect of my growth because I was an avid reader, and I wanted to read everything that. Well-respected scholars had to say about the different world religions and about.、Um, I still like reading that. <laughs> I I'm an avid. I have a huge library, and so、yeah. encouraging others to do the same, encouraging others to that reading is a gateway to the world, and so in 2008. I had a lovely conversation with one of my colleagues. So I'd been teaching for teaching writing and study skills for about ten years and loving it. And I was conversing with one of my colleagues, and he was teaching philosophy, which a lot of people lose sight of. The word itself is love of wisdom. Philo was love, and Sophia is wisdom, and he was teaching that. And I was like, "Oh my God! If I could teach world religions, that would be like eating ice cream and cake every day." And I was really struck by my own words later in the day, and asked myself, "Well, if that's what's in your heart and every day, and if that's what you really, really love, why aren't you pursuing that?" And so I did a an assessment of all of my graduate level courses and and recognized that I had enough to teach in another area as a community college instructor. So I put out I sent out a query letter and I got a very nice response, but it wasn't very promising. And then I went back in. Kind of oogling over the titles to see which one I would really love teaching, and I saw that at one of the centers, it said staff. It said philosophy of religion staff, and so I knew they didn't have a teacher. So I wrote back, highlighting that. And the day I wrote that, 
the instructor who was teaching that course had to quit mainstream. So he was seven weeks into the course and came in in tears saying, I can't teach this course anymore. So they needed an instructor immediately. And so I met with the dean uh, at McDonald's and had a conversation. And the next day I'm teaching that course. And so that's how, you know, the heavens opened up and said, you want ice cream and cake? Here you go. And so then it just blossomed from there. Other opportunities. And it was just so incredible how teaching those courses opened the world to these students. Some of them are rural, come from rural families. They've never known anything but Christianity. They have never known anything outside of that. And so my teaching approach has always been student-centered, meaning that they don't come in and listen to me talk, you know, for an hour. It's, It's a brief discussion from me and then small group activity where they're interacting with each other and they're building community in the classroom where they're getting to know on a more intimate level their classmates and sharing their current belief system and sharing what they know about the aspects of religion because this course was philosophy of religion so all the different aspects of of our different religious I, traditions. I would take that. It was so amazing. Yeah, I would take that. That'd be so much fun. Uh, it was just so much fun to be part of it and to be an observer and then also an influence to explore, to not just stay where you are, but giving them the permission to investigate and find out for themselves about these different traditions. I remember vividly one young man who was wearing a Freemason ring that had been given to him by his grandfather. And he showed it to me. And because of the influence, the discussion, the class discussions, he decided he was going to go and check it out and find out what do they do there at these meetings and tell the folks that he met about his grandfather and it shifted his world. And so the joy of teaching these courses, world religion. So I started with philosophy of religion and then it expanded. I had more invitations to teach not only history of philosophy and introduction to philosophy, but the world religion sequences. So Eastern religion sequence, Western religion sequence. And again, most of these students knew nothing outside of how they were raised in in Christian groups. And got exposed to what are Buddhists like they would say to me why is the Buddha fat you know because that's all they knew they would go to a Chinese restaurant and see the fat-bellied Buddha and wondered what is that all about what does that mean and so I was able to bring in like different versions of the Buddha so they could see that these are symbolic images and sharing with them the story of Siddhartha Gautama, the original Buddha, and how he left his life of privilege to explore and to find the truth about why humanity suffers and went out into the forest to meditate and to find the answer to why humanity suffers. And and then in my classes also, they would have a homework assignment to visit two different non-Christian worship services. Not to be subjected to any kind of proselytization. There's no fear about it. Yeah. Yeah. You're going in as an investigator and an observer. What do you see, smell, hear, taste, touch? 
How do these people interact How, how is it similar? How is it different? Exactly. And then mm -hmm. writing a reflection. What did I see, hear, taste? Because some of the groups, we went to the Sikhs and they were, they got fed a big meal. Yeah. And, and then, you know, how did that feel? And what did you learn? And what surprised you? What did you not know about these people? And to encourage uh, a relaxed feeling about exposing yourself to these other groups to find out for yourself what they teach. And actually, my own daughter took all of my religion classes. And she was also oh, raised in a closed community and told negative things about other groups and she decided on her own that she wanted to go to a different worship service every Sunday. She she had young children, she had a baby and uh, I went with her and I was just on the side. I let her interview like the different group leaders and it was beautiful. It was just wonderful for her to actually have this experience of, and her children, that her children, we went to the Sikh Gudwara in, in Salem, and they were very welcoming. They tied a little head covering on her baby daughter, and we got to experience the beauty of their chanting and their community, how they interact together, and their ethical position. So that's another piece of it, seeing the commonalities in these different traditions, their ethical standards. All of them preach being good to your fellow man, being good to your neighbor, being hospitable helping those in need, telling the truth, not taking something that doesn't belong to you, treating others with respect, like all of them across the board encourage that. And mm -hmm. people need to know that for themselves, that these are good-hearted human beings. And if you are on a bus and you, you see a woman wearing a burqa, like you know what they believe you understand that muslims are peace-loving people and why they're wearing their their garb that they wear and i had so many of my students thank me at the end of the at the end of the course I'm not afraid of Muslims anymore. Like I was initially afraid of them because of 9-11. And now I understand what they believe and could have a conversation with them and, you know, have things that I could ask them. And, and that's really the goal of these courses is to expand, like we talked at the beginning of this interview, to the outside world. And to not be Love afraid it. of people who have a different set of beliefs or a different set of cultural standards. They might dress differently or, you know, have their head wrapped and to understand why they do that. And so it's all about community building, not only, you know, in the college classroom and in your, your town, but spreads to globally to the whole world. Yeah. Before you go on, so we've done a couple of episodes that were sort of focused on religion. Those of you who are listening and want to hear more about religion, obviously look up Karen, but also episode four with Peter Laughter, we talked about um, Quakerism and we talked about the concept of, yeah, I loved it. It was so much fun. The concept of leadership in Quakerism is that leadership is um, in the moment and the person who has access to um, spirit in the moment has the authority to lead um, in in service to that spirit, which was an amazing conversation. So mm -hmm. uh, Peter Laughter. And then um, 
Also, I think it was episode 14 with Isis and Drea. We're, we're going back quite a ways here where she's building an, an entire community around bringing back some of the old gods. Her, she, of course, is focused on the goddess Isis. And, you know, using the things that we've learned over the last several thousand years to, to rebuild our approach to worship and inclusion of the community in our approach to worship, which I loved very much. Um, and then finally, you also brought up Freemasons. So we did an episode on Freemasonry and that was episode 60. So just a couple of months ago, and it's called The Power of Ritual, How Freemasonry Builds Brotherly Love. So those of you who have a friend who was given a, a, a mason ring by your grandfather, hop on back to episode 60 and take a listen to that one. I personally probably will actually go to a couple of Freemason services when I actually have some free time to do so in all my spare time because I was inspired by the episode that I did, episode 60. So go take a look, listen to one of those if you're inspired by this. Karen, thank you, that was awesome. Um, continue with your story because cake and ice cream was was <laughs> core in your, I, I, lo I love it. I mean, like you have a signpost that, that shows when you took a pivot on your road, like a, a hard left turn and and it was wonderful. You went from whatever your life was to, to moving into paradise and and now you actually live in a version of that paradise. And I, I want to hear us get to that too. So because I was having, you know, just these wonderful experiences in the college classroom, I decided to go back to school. And my original intent was to earn a doctorate degree in world religions. Mm -hmm. And because my family was here locally and my grandchildren, I opted to stay in Oregon and attend Merrillhurst University, which is in, was in Lake Oswego. It has now closed, but it had been in operation for well over a hundred years. And what's beautiful about the experience I had at Merrillhurst is that it was an interfaith program. So even though it was a Catholic university and my two major professors who ran the program, the divinity program, were Catholic, they never tried to proselytize anybody in the group. There was never any focus on Catholicism. It was interfaith. And my classmates were from a variety of different traditions, Unitarian Universalism, Church of Christ. I do like the, I do like the UU people. Yeah, I love them too. I attended with them for a while. And so this program was a hefty master's degree. So it was four years instead of two. And this program... That is a hefty master's degree. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. And so I was... Not that I would have a problem studying all the world religions for four years. <laughs> that would be great. Um, what I loved about the program, I was still teaching full-time, but I was a grad student full-time. There was just so much joy and it was designed for older than average students who had full lives and had jobs. And we would attend class for an entire weekend and we were a cohort. So when we started, I believe there was 12 or 13 in our group. And the intention was for all of us to move through the four years together. So it was about building strong bonds among our cohort where we felt safe to talk about any challenges, you know, that we were facing, any unresolved issues, you know, from our past that resurfaced during doing this work, which was 
really heart work. It was it was about connecting more fully to our hearts and listening to spirit and gaining clarity about our own personal theology. And so we had no exams. It was writing these 40-page papers for every course, which were exegetical papers, which means a very strict format of analysis and taking like a scripture word by word and going back to what did this word originally mean to this group of people back in ancient times. Mm-hmm. And so it was a very deep exploration and through this process so many insights would arise during this exploration and then the last part of it was how did this research change you as a as a spiritual seeker as a as a spiritual pilgrim and was pretty pretty incredible. And so, during this time, my goal was to uh, explore eastern traditions because I was drawn toward Buddhism, I was drawn personally toward Hinduism, and I was allowed to do that that focal point. Like nobody was saying, you know, you can't write about those traditions you only have to write about christianity and so i wanted to travel to india mm. and because i was in this program where i was receiving financial aid so that i could just go to school full time i saved my resources so i could go to india so the first year of grad school the summer i traveled to india i traveled to southern india I spent some time at Oneness University Oneness. which is Oneness University which is an international school so in this first experience I was the only American and I was with a huge there were 26 students in this group a huge number from Mexico a huge number from Italy some women from Finland and I was the only American in this group. Wow. And we we stayed in a dormitory so we we got intimate with each other sharing our our stories and our our spiritual practices. Mm-hmm. And then the following summer I went again. And so I was there longer. The first trip was I was in a training program for 16 days and I got to travel around once my training was done I got to travel around Chennai and made friends with rickshaw drivers and they would take me <laughs> to some cool places and became like my personal Fine. tour guides and yeah. uh, and it was just so lovely. It was always best to get a local, right? you know but but like we were talking about at the beginning of this interview about how we're all related and yeah. i made friends with this wonderful rickshaw driver who actually you know full-blooded indian but was christian and his mm-hmm. wife is a hindu and mm-hmm. he shared no problem i go with her one sunday and she goes with me the next sunday and we have no issue you know that we we have these different traditions and isn't that lovely you know it just oh. it changed my life to you know be halfway around the world as a white woman traveling by myself to a third world country and to feel very safe and to make new friends people i'm still in contact with you know from 2012 so not just safe but welcomed absolutely absolutely so much hospitality in yeah. india in, in southern india they have like these big malls that are you know like america malls but when you 
go inside their shops, they want you to sit down and they want to bring you tea and cookies and they want to know where you're from. And, you know, they're very hospitable. And so then I went again uh, in 2013 in the summer and I stayed longer back to Oneness University. I actually went there three times, three different years. And my goal was to be able to share with my students first-hand experiences of traveling to these different locations in the world so that I'm not just sharing what I learned in a book. So one of my mentors, some of your audience may know, Houston Smith, who world religion scholar and his books, you know, have been in publication for 50 years. And he was a professor at UC Berkeley. And what I loved about him is that he did the same thing. He went to India, he recorded his journey, the land of Shiva, Vishnu, Kali, and maintained his his Christianity, but was comfortable practicing these other traditions at the same time, you know, that there wasn't a conflict. And he went to Japan and he he spent time in a Japanese Zen Buddhist monastery and had an enlightenment experience. And then he went to the Sufis and he became a whirling dervish. And he went <laughs> to the Muslims and he had this yogic practice that he would do headstands every morning to get the blood flowing in the brain. And, you know, I just so admired the fact that he, he traveled the world and he went to Tibet and he spent time with the Tibetan lamas. And, and so that was my dream was to be like that, to actually have firsthand experiences with Native American Folks, like I went five summers in a row to the Lakota and witnessed their sun dance, and they welcomed me and loved Isn't me. That lovely. So you know, to be able to share that in the classroom, firsthand experiences of witnessing the love that they have for their children and for yeah. community and cooking together and. You know, everybody camps and the children are everybody's children and everybody looks out for them and being in a sweat lodge and. Oh, you've done a Lakota sweat lodge. Numerous times. Oh my. That is an intense experience. Totally. You didn't tell me about this before. (laughs) No. And yeah, I mean, it was... You know, I, For I those of you some... who don't know, a, a Lakota Sweat Lodge is a very spiritual and intense experience. The first time I went into the Sweat Lodge, it was by personal request because it was kind mm-hmm. of an off day. And they have two lodges. Wait, you requested or, or they specifically requested asked you? I requested it because I had got some disturbing news about my mother that Mm. her cancer had returned and that she had a big tumor and so I asked if we could do a sweat and I learned that when you go into a sweat you you go in on your hands and knees first you're you're smudged and then you Mm -hmm. go in on your hands and knees and everybody's in, you know, like almost like you're in a sardine can, you know, oh, close. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, they bring in the stones and the stones are brought in with a deer antler and, you know, they pour water on the stones and they're chanting, they're singing in their native tongue. And I had an experience that first time where I was told that my mother 
would pass in six months. And wow. I, had the, I had the silent scream in the towel. And, but I was also told this will be a very special time for you both that do not miss out on any moment to spend with your mom and that this is her great liberation, that she will be liberated from her suffering as she moves on in the spirit realm. And what a blessing, what a blessing that mm. that first sweat was to, to have that knowledge to cherish that time together and don't leave yep. anything unsaid. And that yep. really is how it went. I got to be with her her last 11 days and say everything on my heart and she said everything on her heart and honestly even though my mother was like my dearest sweetest connection ever in life I didn't grieve as hard because mm. we had shared our what was on our hearts and I knew she was being liberated from her suffering and so incredible you know to have that preparation and the love of that community like being white and entering into a native community and you know they welcome all races yellow black red and white and we're all brothers and sisters that's true and so you you know I feel so you have a story about while you were in India and and feeling the impact of being brothers and sisters. But just the international population of mm-hmm. people from Asia, all kinds of Asian countries, South American countries, Nordic countries, European countries, we were all different nationalities, speaking different languages. They had their headsets that would translate into their native tongues. And Mm -hmm. one of the groups, I think second or third group time that I went, you know, larger groups of like 400 people. And Asian people are very excitable and they don't want to miss out on anything. And so they run and they want to get first in line because they don't want to miss out on the the joy and the spiritual energies there. And it's very different from our culture. We're taught to hold back. We're taught to be polite. And early on in, in this course that I was in, this 30-day course, I was feeling annoyed. You have a little bit of jet lag too, and you're adjusting to the heat. And Yeah. Oh, it's hot there. And you're tired. Yep. Oh, it's it's like being in a sauna. You go outside yeah. and you, your body just melts. And so I was feeling a little irritable at the Asians who were speed running full speed running and want to get on the bus first and I had gotten on because they would take us back and forth from the campuses on a bus and you could stand holding the the pole as long as you got on it was fine and um so I'd had this experience of feeling really annoyed at these Asian people and all of a sudden this sweet Asian man like saw me carrying all my my backpack and my goods for the day and he stood up and he gave me his seat and I just tears came and I felt so much love and I realized you can't label a whole group of people the same that there was there was also even though they're they're excitable and eager they're also very loving and it just warmed my heart and removed that frustration I was feeling. And then I had a second experience where I was on the bus, you know, after being in meditation all day long, this is like evening, you're going back and you're tired and you're hot and you're, you have all your bags and, and this lovely Asian woman saw, you know, my load and she just reached up and grabbed my bags and took them 
I'm just going to remove the weight off of you. And she held all my bags. And again, it was like a heartwarming it, experience of just feeling loved by, yeah. they didn't know my name or, but being in this, this energy field of the Oneness University was a very heightened spiritual experience and if you're you're feeling some irritation you ask please help me with this please help me dissolve this whatever it is and immediately it would happen and there were so many people who had miraculous experiences of being healed from serious illnesses and serious obstacles and it was just totally incredible, all the things that happened. And then I can share one other thing with one of my last experiences. I was on a limited budget and flying coach. And when you travel to India, it's 22 hours in several different airports. And, and it's a long trip. <laughs> I was praying like two days prior, like, you know, please help me get upgraded or like, thank you for the upgrade. And then three times I got upgraded into first class so that you you could lay down, you could sleep, you're being offered food you know, throughout the trip. And so I felt like enormously blessed. And part of it is saying yes, you know, yeah. saying yes and not worrying about the, the expense and knowing that the divine provides and and that's what happened for me I was provided for in beautiful ways and so grateful for these experiences that's amazing wow what a story Karen thank you tell me a little bit about what you're doing with the community center now so two years ago, I had this clarity that I was to live in Hawaii, where, you know, the, the weather is more... Nobody, uh, nobody hates to hear that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Just the warm weather and the ocean. And there is a part of the big island that is considered an energy vortex. So the Puna area near Hilo is considered a high vibrational place for healing. And so I really wanted to live there. I had gone there 10 years prior when I was a grad student at Merrill Hurst. I went there on a healing retreat and I had the insight that you're going to live here but down the line after you finish your degree and things are in order. And so I went to the big Island actually two years ago, almost to the day. It was December 13th that I went there with just a couple days ago, just two suitcases. I had only my clothing, a one-way ticket, a one-way ticket. And I didn't know where where I was going to live, but I knew it would be provided. I knew it would open up and it did. I stayed in a few Airbnbs and I met these lovely people who offered to rent me a room. And so I, I stayed with them for six months. And again, it was community. They, they felt like, I was meant to be with them. I moved in on Christmas Day and they felt like I was their Christmas gift. And I met all the neighbors <laughs> and because they had this potluck for all the people that didn't have family on Christmas. And so I met them and had immediate connections and love. Like they were happy I was there. We started hanging out and playing board games and I felt immediately like I was loved, welcomed, and had friends that would help me if I needed something. And these folks also helped me get a car right away, uh, low cost, and then 
they finished out a cottage that was in their back that was under construction and that is where I live now. I have a, a cottage, oh. a one bedroom cottage on one acre that they own and my car and everything just happened miraculously. So I was looking for an opportunity because I'm, I'm also a Kundalini yoga teacher and yeah. I wanted to teach at the senior center. And so again, I was like immediately welcomed. They already had a number of yoga teachers and they said, well, what else do you teach? And I said, writing. And they were very excited. They didn't have somebody teaching writing. And so immediately I was hired to teach, write your life story, creative writing to a group of seniors. And this was oh. one year one year ago. Uh-huh. So I've been doing this for a year. And I had no idea what to expect. How, you know, elderly these people would be and what their writing level experience was. And I was stunned. I was stunned at their youthfulness, even though they're in their 70s and some were in their early 80s. Uh-huh. Uh, incredible stories, incredible writers. And then the same folks were excited that I was there teaching writing and keep signing up every time they, they want to take it again and again and again. And so I have the same. They're becoming your loyal fans. Yes. And then new folks joining because they would tell people I'm taking this class and what's it's really fun and I'm writing stories for my my family, my children, so I can preserve my life history for my children. And so That's I taught awesome. the creative writing course the first time around. And then they said, oh, if you want to teach another class, we can offer world traditions. And so then oh. I started teaching world traditions and what happened was so incredible that I was given this free reign that I could research and share with these students traditions that are not in the world religions textbooks. Mm -hmm. So we covered the Vikings, the Druids, the Celts, the Egyptians, the the Grecians, the Romans, and they keep signing up because they also know they can suggest an area of the world that they want to learn about and that I have the freedom to investigate and then bring it to them. So one of the things that happened this last quarter is we covered Mongolia. And we learned all about Genghis Khan and the misconceptions, the misinformation that has been spread about him, how he made education available for women and how he implemented laws for interfaith practices. It was just so exciting. And so they watch documentaries, I send them at home, and then they, we come together and we talk about these different traditions and, and the common threads that are within all of them. You know, love of nature, respect for ancestors, re- love for the children, passing on the wisdom to the children, healing through nature and through herbs and shamans and like all of them the Polynesian groups we studied and the Aztecs and the Mayans and the Rastafarians and oh it was just so much fun I feel like I'm like being stretched just with this joy of being able to learn myself like we're we're journeying together in this investigation and study oh i love it okay i i could talk about this all day but i know i know (laughs) you do know we have (laughs) yeah Um, 
we, we do have to let our listeners go. Okay. I like to, uh, I like to wrap up my interviews with three questions. The first is for the people who are inspired and delighted and they want to be able to reach out to you or they want to join a local religious world, world religion studies course. How do they find you? What's the one best way for them to reach out? They are more than welcome to email me. My email is my name, Karen Chambers, all lowercase, 598 at gmail.com. I love getting emails and I'm happy to answer any questions and share any of the information I have. I'm also on Facebook, Karen Chambers. Karen with a Y, Karen with a Y, and I'm I'm living in Hawaii, and so, yeah, I would would welcome friend requests and communication there. Yeah, especially if you're in Hawaii and you want to learn about world religions from somebody amazing. Second question, this is is a curveball, it's a good thing you're sitting down. Okay. What is the one question that you wish I had asked you, but I have not? making you think on your feet here what is the one mode of spiritual practice that was instrumental in expediting your path oh oh i love that we have models to draw from right so siddhartha go into the forest and meditate for 40 days and Jesus go into the desert and meditate for 40 days. It's it's fun to learn from the models, but of course your lived experience is unique to you. So Karen, what is it for you? Well, in 2011, I learned about an energy transmission that mm-hmm. is called Diksha, D-E-E-K-S-H-A. And it is a hands-on blessing And this hands-on blessing actually opens your third eye and Mm -hmm. it rewires your brain so that it activates dormant parts of your brain so that it assists you with clearing out any kind of emotional baggage that you haven't dealt with yet. And it's more of a heart-based technology that aligns all of your chakras and totally like increases the energy in your crown and makes miracles happen Hmm. you know it's like it's like reiki yeah how is this different from the christian lay on hands or the jewish lay on hands it's not it's the same i love it just under a different name Uh, Diksha is Sanskrit, Mm -hmm. and so Diksha means initiation, Mm -hmm. and so it's an initiation that a student receives from a a master that has its own intelligence, it has its own ability. So that's how it's different from a lay on hands. See, a lay on hands isn't necessarily about passing something on, it's about affecting the moment. Ah, well, our our hands have chakras and our hands can transmit light and you become an empty vessel and you focus on blessing the person that you're in the presence of and giving them the initiation. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Hmm. I can't wait to get one from you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That would be my privilege. Yeah. Oh. Thank you. Third question. Do you have any parting thoughts? Don't be afraid to explore and investigate. Some people are afraid they're going to lose their faith and that it could be disastrous. And it's actually the opposite. Hmm. To investigate, to go Go as an observer to the Sikhs, the Buddhists, the the Muslims, the Jewish people even. Like it's so incredibly beautiful and 
out of all the places that I've gone, stepped in not knowing anybody, they were all hospitable, welcoming, loving. I was, I left feeling very moved and very glad that I went. Because we're all family. Because we're all family. Yes. I love it. What a, what an amazing core message, Karen. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you being here. It's, it's a blessing for me. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks for joining us this week on Elements of Community. Make sure to visit our website, elementsofcommunity.us, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode. 